0: You are listening to audio from Pastor Mark Driscoll. To find more helpful content like this, as well as daily devotions, Ask Pastor Mark videos, resources for leaders, and much more, visit markdriscoll.org. While there, you can also make a donation that will help support the ministry and subscribe to continue getting Bible-based teaching. If you live in or are visiting the greater Phoenix Valley, please feel free to come and see Pastor Mark at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. All right, if you've got a Bible, go to uh, John chapter 8 if you've got a Bible. How many of you are newer to Arizona? You're not a native, you've moved here from somewhere else. We are in the fastest growing county, fastest growing city in the United States of America. Here's my big question. We're in lovely Scottsdale, Arizona. Why is everyone moving here? Why? Because it's sunny. Here's what happens. During the winter, everybody who lives up north, they come down here, they go outside, they realize it's not California, and then they move here. That's our secret. That's how we are growing our city. People come here, and they love the sunshine. How many of you moved here in large part because of the sunshine? How many of you love the sunshine? How many of you like the sunshine? I moved here almost three years ago, and prior to that, I lived in one of the darkest, dreariest cities in America. I'll never forget. We had one season, it was almost two months consecutive days, zero sun breaks, rained every day 50 something degrees just reading Lamentations, praying for the rapture. I could not take it anymore. I go to my doctor. My doctor says, you're not doing well. Apparently, I'm allergic to winter, and I'm solar-powered. That's what I discovered about myself. I'm solar-powered as a little boy. My mom's here today. And dad, I would build forts as a little boy, and I would want to sleep outside, live outside. As long as the sun was up, I was riding my bike. I was uh, playing baseball. We'd go to a thing called a lake. You can Google it. You've never seen one, but they're bodies of water where you can go swimming if you're a kid. And I would live outside. And then even as I got older, I realized that each winter, it got a little worse for me. My doctor diagnosed me with seasonal affective disorder. So my initials are MAD, Mark Allen Driscoll. And I'm mad with sad. That's a person who's really in a bad position emotionally. So I'm mad with sad. I have seasonal affective disorder. And every winter, I just don't do well. I kind of have a funeral once the, the fall and winter comes in my heart through the course of the winter. I, I put on those hibernating pounds and I uh, grow a big beard and I'm kind of like a bear during the winter and I'm a bear to live with. My poor wife, Grace, had to put up with that. And I would live on my phone on the weather app. My kids would always make fun of me like, Dad, I was like, hey kids, in San Diego, it's sunny. In Sydney, Australia, it's sunny. In heaven with Jesus, it's sunny. There's other places we could possibly be. And if someone would call me with a speaking engagement, it was always like, is it sunny there? Yes, (laughs) then I am coming. And if you have a guest room, please adopt me. I want to be a member of your family and live there forever. I actually got a Jeep, a, a, a soft top Wrangler Jeep, which I'm convinced we'll all drive in heaven because uh, it's a perfect vehicle. But I would take the top off the Jeep when it was sunny out so that the Lord Jesus could see me smiling and appreciating a sunny day. It could be 35 degrees if it was sunny out. I was in the Jeep with the top off wearing a parka. That was just how I rolled. And then what happened was we moved to Arizona and I went from one of the cloudiest to one of the sunniest cities in America. People always... Many of you have asked, how do you like it? I love it. I love, 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 love the sun. I went to my doctor recently. They took my test and I said, how am I doing? He said, great, see you next year. What? No, I don't need anything. He's like, you're doing great. He said, what did you do? I said, I traded stress for sunshine and it's awesome. And it's my internship for heaven. I just love it. I love being here. How many of you love the sunshine? Don't complain to me about the heat. Don't, look, don't complain to me about the heat because I'll tell you what, hell is hotter. This is fine. You're doing great. You're doing great, okay? And every time you see the sun, I want you to think of John chapter eight because everything ultimately points us to Jesus, and, and here's what I want you to know, that you and I need the light of Jesus in our soul as bad as our world and our body need the light of the sun. Uh, I've got a friend of mine, he lives up in, or he grew up, I should say, in Barrow, Alaska, right? That's as far north as you can go without falling off. And so he's up north, and he told me that in the winters there, you could go two months with zero sunrises. I asked him, I said, what was it like there in that land of utter and complete and total darkness? And he's now a pastor in Alaska and he comes down to Phoenix every winter just to survive. And so uh, he said, uh, what would happen is as the landscape got darker, so did people's behavior and mood that the external world and the internal world seemed to be correlated. That as it got darker into those long winter months, people would drink, they would abuse drugs and alcohol, they would become very depressed, they would become very violent. Violent crime would spike. He said there were occasions that you would call the police and they would not come because it was just too dangerous to even be out. He told me a report one day when he was a little kid. He saw some guys beat another guy tie him up behind a snowmobile, and drag him through town. And nobody did anything because that's what just happened in the winter. That people are not made to live in darkness. They don't thrive in darkness. Instead, we were made to live in light. And there are a few functions of light. Number one, light brings life. Light brings life. Things grow in the light. My wife planted tomatoes and mint in a very small patch of garden, very small at our house. If you need tomatoes or mint, we have some for you. We have 7,000 tomatoes and four tons of mint. (laughs) It was unbelievable. I have found the garden of Eden. It's next to my pool. Everything grows there because there is light. Things grow where there is light. Number two, light illuminates a path. When you drive your car at night, Your headlights turn on to illuminate a path. We use light for life. We use light for illumination along a path. Number three, light brings safety. How many of you, when you were kids, you needed to sleep with the lights on because you were a little scared? How many of you are older and the secret is you still sleep with the light on? No judgment, wimp. Um, No, no judgment. It's okay. How many of you have been in a city or a town when all the power went out at night? That's Scooby-Doo scary, right? Because people don't be more godly, right? If the power goes out, it's not like everybody reads their Bible and prays. What happens is lots of crime happens because when you cannot be seen, you tend to go with your depraved nature and terrible things happen. So light brings safety and also light brings health. I've seen it in my life, tremendous health changes. I probably added a decade to my life just moving into a sunny place. And in the uh, ancient world, there was a nation called Egypt And one of the gods that they worshiped was named Ra, which is the the sun god. So everybody who gets on a plane, comes down for spring training, Barrett Jackson auction to go sit, you know, out by the pool. Anytime you see people doing this by the pool, they're worshipers. Oh, Ra, hoo-Ra. They're worshiping the sun because it brings life and health and healing. Why do I tell you that? Well, here's what we read from the Lord Jesus. John chapter eight, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have The light of life. Now, for context, this is during a feast or a festival called the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, depending upon your translation. And it commemorates an event in the Old Testament. God's people were held in slavery and bondage in Egypt to a ruthless king named Pharaoh. God delivered them, but they had to walk in their freedom from Egypt to their home in the Promised Land. Well, what's the path? How do you go? You know, there is no map to take you. And so what God would do is he would lead them. And at night he would send fire that literally would go before them and it would illuminate their path. So they would follow the light and to follow the light was literally to follow the Lord. And so many years later, when they got to the promised land, they instituted a holiday. One of their high holy days was this feast. They would go camping and sleep in tents. Uh, Think of it kind of like 4th of July. Because they would sleep in tents when they were sojourning in the wilderness, and they would all gather at the temple, the people of God in the presence of God, and the temple is high and exalted, and they go there to worship god and One of the things that would happen is as the as the holiday was sort of reaching its apex, they would bring out these large candelabras and they would light them and For people that had no electricity or they grew up in rural areas once the sun got set, the day was over and you would go home in darkness. Well, all of a sudden the temple is lit up. How many of you remember, maybe even as kids going to, let's say a Christmas Eve candlelight service. We're going to have our first one ever this year here at the Trinity church. And this whole building is going to look really cool. But I remember that as a little kid thinking this is almost magical. It's nighttime and the people of God are gathered and all the candles are lit. It was like that at the Feast of Tabernacles. And they would light all the candles and you could see it from miles around. And it is Jesus who steps forward during this feast and celebration at this place and declares, I am the light of the world. Whoever walks with me will not walk in darkness. Will not walk in darkness. And so what we learn about this, I want to share five things with you. Number one, to follow the light is to follow the Lord. Jesus says it this way. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Following means that Jesus is the leader. You're not. Here's what I need you to know. You don't tell Jesus, hey, here's what I'm doing. Join me. Here's what I'm doing. Agree with me. Here's my plan. Here's your script. Read your lines. Obey my will. That's not how this works. Jesus is the leader. You and I are to be the follower. And to follow Jesus, to walk in the light, is literally to walk with the Lord. This is humility, this is integrity, this is repentance, this is honesty, this is full disclosure, this is coming clean before you get caught. Walking with Jesus is walking in the light. Following the light is literally following the Lord. Number two, believing in Jesus is the starting line. He's going to say in just a few verses to believe in him, believing in Jesus is the starting line, we're to follow him until the finish line. Some of you, maybe at some point in your life, you decided you'd be a Christian, you prayed a prayer, you made a commitment, but you've not been following. You say, I'm okay, I believed in Jesus. Christianity is not just believing in Jesus, it's following Jesus. This is relational. This is doing life together. This is Jesus leading, you following, you walking step in step relationally with him. We always like to say at the Trinity Church, the key to your walk with God is to figure out your next step. That's it. You don't know everything. You don't know the future. You can't figure it all out. But to follow Jesus, the question is always, all right, Jesus, what's the next step? I need to get a Bible. I need to pray. I need to get some better relationships. I need to forgive some people. I need to learn some things, right? Whatever that next step is for you, we would encourage you to take that next step. Following Jesus is just one step after another step after another step. Believing in Jesus is step one. You need to follow him from the starting line to the finish line. How is your following going? Number three, Jesus is the light for the globe, not just a group. Here's how he says it. I am the light of the world. Most other religions, false religions, their God only cares about their group. God loves us, not them. God loves our race, not that race. God loves our culture, not that culture. God loves our kind, not their kind. Jesus is a global God. Jesus loves people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language. Because God made all people. Jesus comes to save people from all people groups. He is the God of the whole globe, not just a group. And so this is a tremendous invitation and declaration. And it's amazing to me that we live in this world where many people would say, we need all people to come together. We need unity. We need agreement. What they're all saying and they don't even know it is, we all need Jesus. We need someone to be the unifying center that we all rally around so that our unity is around the relationship with him. And the closer we get to Jesus, the closer we come together. Point number four that we learn from this, the world is filled with moral and spiritual darkness. This world is dark. Do you know why the light has to come? Because there is darkness. The light would not need to come if there was not darkness. Darkness. Sometimes you don't know how morally, spiritually dark this world is until truth comes. You're like, wow, there's a lot of lies. Justice comes. Wow, there's a lot of oppression and injustice. Our world, you need to know this, my friend, it is morally dark. It is spiritually dark. But what happens to our soul is the same thing that happens to our eyes. How many of you, you've been in darkness physically in a place that is dark for a while and your eyes adjust? All of a sudden you're like, okay, it seems normal now. And then you flip the lights on. You're like, how many of you have noticed that? Like after a movie, you walk outside, you're like, oh yeah, I live in Arizona. I I didn't realize how dark it was in that movie theater until I entered the light. And then I realized how dark it was. This world is totally, completely and utterly dark. And Jesus comes as the light of the world. What this means is that you and I need Jesus to see anything clearly, including ourselves. And what happens is, he says this, I think, in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. He gives this prophecy about what happens. And that is, God says, Woe to those who call evil good, good evil, and darkness light, and light darkness. You need to know that we live in a world that calls darkness light. We're enlightened. No, you're darkened. We live in a world that has parades for things that we should have funerals for. We live in a world that tolerates and celebrates things that should be repented of. And that's what darkness is, and that's what darkness does. Jesus comes to bring light into a dark world. Number five, light is overt, darkness is covert. Okay, I want to give you an understanding here relationally. Some of you have heard me say this. Some people are overt, they just tell you. You don't have to even guess what they're thinking. We all know, okay? You don't have to guess what they're feeling. How many of you have raised that kid? That kid is just, they walk around with a guilty conscience and they are, they are easy to break, right? Like, what did you do? I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. I'm so sorry, nervous breakdown. The other kid, they're like, I'm not doing that. That's the covert kid, right? They're the religious small attorney you're raising a very short attorney. They don't disclose anything. They're like a poker player. They're always holding their cards. How many of you were that kid? Your parents still don't know what you did. Yeah. What happened to the cat? I'm not telling. I'm not telling. Right? Those who, are, those who are overt, they come clean. Those who are covert, they need to get caught. Those who are overt, they fully confess. Those who are covert, at the most, they only partially confess. Those who are overt, you know who they are and where you stand. Those who are covert, you don't know who you are, who they are rather, and you don't know where you stand. Jesus had a disciple named Peter. Was he overt or covert? Overt. Every once in a while you're like, hey, be quiet. Just be quiet. You're like, Every time you open your mouth, you say too much. Now, he had another disciple, Judas. Was he overt or covert? Covert. Stealing money, disagreeing, plotting and scheming, four years Nobody knew. If you want to walk with Jesus, you cannot be covert. You need to be overt. Walking in the light is overt. Here's in another letter written by the same author, John. He says in 1 John 1, if we walk in the light as he, Jesus, is in the light, we have fellowship or friendship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of our unrighteousness. Here's why people don't come in the light, because they have darkness and their darkness will get exposed. Jesus wants you to bring your darkness into his light. Jesus, here's who I am. Here's what I've done. Here's what I've said. Here's what I felt. Here's what I've desired. He will forgive you. And you know what he'll allow you to have? A relationship with him. Because what is separating you from your relationship with Jesus is that darkness. Darkness. So he removes that darkness so you can have a relationship with him. And then what he allows is overt people, believers, together to walk in the light. Here's what I'm struggling with. I'm sorry for this, what I've said or done or failed to say or do. And there is forgiveness that flows, and as a result, there is relationship. Here's what I'm telling you. There is no such thing as a healthy, joyful, fruitful relationship between people that does not involve Jesus and overt behavior. Some of you, this is why your relationships are hard. You're an overt person, you're dealing with a covert person. You wear your heart on your sleeve, and theirs is in a bank vault, and you never know what they're feeling. The best thing, especially for you married couples, walk in the light. Walk together with Jesus in the light. Walking in the light is overt, walking in the darkness is covert. Covert. It's secretive, sneaky hidden, tricky, dishonest, manipulative behavior versus disclosing, honest, forthright, humble, repentant, teachable integrity. God's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for honest people. How is it going walking with Jesus and one another in the light? So Jesus establishes his theses. I am the light of the world. And the question is, Is there light in religion or is there light in culture? He's going to hit these two issues in succession. You would think that in religion, there would be light for the darkness in culture. That's what many of us would think, amen? That the culture is filled with darkness and that religion must have light to shine into the darkness of culture because as you hear of other religions, they will offer you this invitation to become enlightened. How many religions offer that? Come to our religion, take our class, read our books, go through our process, and you will become enlightened. Here is what we find. Religion is darkness. Jesus has this disagreement. John 8, 13 through 20, so the Pharisees, these are religious leaders, devout, committed religious leaders, said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not True, Jesus comes, I'm the light of the world. Religion steps forward and says, you're the darkness. You're the darkness. Jesus comes to expose darkness even in religion. And they say that he is a liar, they are a truth teller, that he is a problem, that they are the solution. Here's why I'm saying this, Let me make this clear, okay? I'm not trying to convert you to religion. I want you to walk with Jesus. Okay? That's that's what I want. I want you to have a relationship with Jesus, not a commitment to a religion. All a religion is, is another kind of darkness. To walk with Jesus is to walk in the light. How do I know this? The light comes up and the darkness opposes him in the name of religion. Here's what they're doing. They're saying, we represent God and we oppose you. And Jesus says, I am God. (laughs) So opposing me is not, For me, religion will oppose God in the name of God. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. I tell the truth, I'm not a liar. I know where I came from. I come down from heaven. Where I'm going, I'm gonna die and rise and go back to heaven. But you do not know where I come from. You weren't up there with me. You didn't come down here with me and you don't know where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh, what you see, what you think, what you perceive and misperceive and wrongly believe. I judge no one, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. What he says is, I'm here to say some words. Those are the words that the Father has given me. I'm here to do some works. Those are the works that the Father has given me. If you oppose me, you oppose him who sent me. That's what he's inferring. Their response, next slide, please. He says, in your lot is written, they say, in your lot is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself and the father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know, neither me nor my father. What he's saying is you don't know who God is. Do they know religion? These people memorized books of the Old Testament in Hebrew. They took the Sabbath off. They tied 10% and more. They celebrated all the feasts and festivals. They would have known the 613 laws in the first five books of the Old Testament. They put them on their fridge and tried to obey them all. You can know the Bible and not know God. You can know morality and not know God. You can know spirituality and not know God. Now, if you know God, you will know the Bible. If you know God, you will know morality. If you know God, you will know spirituality. But you can have all of those things and no relationship with God. They said to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you don't know me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. A couple of things. Number one, religion is darkness. It comes to either discredit or destroy Jesus, the light of the world. That's how dark it is. There are whole religions that when Jesus returns, they will reject him. They continually seek to destroy Jesus. They're ultimately going to put him to death. And they continually seek to discredit Jesus. Religion still does that today. It either seeks to eradicate Jesus or create him into someone that he truly is not to use him for religious purposes. Number two, religion judges rather than welcomes Jesus to judge. Jesus shows up and he says, I am light. The world is filled with darkness. I am the light of the world. And they said, you know what? We judge you. We disagree with you. We are right. You are wrong. Some of you would wonder, how do you begin to be a negative person in that pejorative and religious sense? Very simply this, open God's word to judge everyone except yourself. Okay, I judge you and you and you and you and you for sure him. I mean, just look at him. I can just tell by looking at him because man looks at the outward and God looks at the heart. Yeah. Yeah, I judge you and 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 I judge you. But I don't judge me because I sit in God's seat and I open God's word so that I can play God. God comes. And they judge him. They don't go up to Jesus and say, Hey Jesus, since we disagree, where are we wrong? Hey Jesus, since, since you say you're God, what do we need to learn? What do we need to change? Um, where are we off? They never ask that question because they're not even open to the possibility that they are part of the darkness and not part of the light. If you want to start down a religious path, just assume that you're always right, there's nothing you're wrong about, and that everyone is the problem, and that you are the solution, and that God drops a hammer, and you're the one who who holds it. It's amazing to me. Jesus already told us in John 5, he says, The Father judges no one. He's entrusted all judgment to the Son. Jesus comes to bring light into darkness and to judge the world, and and the religious leaders judge Jesus. That's how a religious spirit begins. Before you judge anyone else, judge yourself. And here's what I will tell you from personal experience. That'll take so much time, you won't have time to judge anyone else. You're like, I was gonna judge you guys, but I started judging myself. And next thing you know, the day was gone. I found so much work that needed to be done here. I didn't have time to get to you. Number three, religion seeks to use God's word for control rather than relationship. They're trying to get Jesus on a technicality. Back in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, he talks about the law. Deuteronomy was one of the five books of the law in the beginning of the Old Testament. And one of the rules, one of the laws was for something to be established as legal, you needed two or three witnesses. Now this makes sense. Because if I said, well, you stole from me and there's no witnesses, I could be bringing in justice and taking advantage of you. So two or three witnesses was an effort for God to bring justice. So Jesus shows up and Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And they say, disqualified, that's only one witness. Really? Let me just say this. The Trinity is two or three witnesses, amen? God, God comes as Jesus Christ. And what Jesus is saying is, I testify and my father testified. He's possibly referring back to his baptism a few chapters prior. Remember Jesus gets baptized? The Holy Spirit descends upon him in the form of a dove. I'd go, well, there's a witness. And then who speaks from heaven at Jesus' baptism? God the Father. I mean, rock, paper, scissors, God the Father. God the Father always wins. That's the highest authority, right? <laughs> this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Well, that seems wrapped it up. Uh, you know, no need to vote now. We can't go above the org chart above God the Father. Jesus is saying, the father has already spoken from heaven and told you who I am. Here's what I need you to know. Some people, their problem is not that their mind doesn't understand who Jesus is. It's that their heart doesn't love who Jesus is. Some of you, you know everything you need to know about Jesus. It's not a mental, but rather a heart problem. How many of you have someone that has just decided to be your enemy? Okay. I mean, I'm not asking to raise your hand, especially if it's your spouse. And you're like, <laughs> right, okay, but when someone has just decided in their heart, I don't love you, I don't like you, I don't want a relationship with you, It doesn't matter what you say or what you do. They interpret all that data in a way that does not build a relationship. Oh, you know why you're being nice to me? You're just trying to gain my trust so you could break my heart. Um, no, no. Well, the reason you gave me that gift is because you did that thing to me and that thing was really bad and it hurt me and now you're trying to pay me back but you can't pay pay me back because I'm not receiving your apology. And it's like, no, no. Every piece of data by someone who is just determined not to have a relationship is misinterpreted. These people have hardened their heart. They know the scriptures, but they don't know the Lord. And when the Lord shows up, they use the scriptures to argue with the Lord rather than have a relationship with the Lord. Some of you are trying to use the Bible to create a God that you can control and manipulate, and that's not the real God. Some of you are frustrated because who God is is not who you wish God was but you need to walk in the light. You need to come clean about your heart condition and begin that relationship with Jesus. These religious people do tragically not do that. Number four, religion does not understand God's will or God's timing. What is God the Father's will for Jesus at this moment? It is to preach and teach at the temple. That's what he's there and doing. And that's what he says. The father sent me here and he told me some things to say. I'm paraphrasing, of course. And they say, we need to get rid of you and silence you. They are opposed to the will of God. And they do not understand the timing of God. It says here, and it says it repeatedly. It's this little refrain through John's gospel. They were wanting to destroy Jesus or arrest Jesus, but it was not yet his time what I want you to understand is it is important for you and I to be aware of both God's will and God's timing. Okay? I talked to a young guy recently. Good guy, new Christian, super excited. Met a really nice gal who loves Jesus. He believes he has discovered God's will. What do you think that is? little shock. Right? That they would be together. And he came to me, he's like, Pastor Mark, I found, I found, I found, I found a girl. And she thinks I'm interesting. Oh, It's like the lottery. It actually happened. Amazing. Okay, great. I said, well, what's your plan? He's like, I want to marry her. I said, okay, where do you live? He's like, with my mom. Okay. There's the Lord's will. I don't know if it's the Lord's will. There's also the Lord's timing. You don't have a job or a house. I know it's not the Lord's time. How many of you moms are like, amen, I'm trying to get rid of my son. I'm not trying to add a daughter-in-law. When I bought my kids bunk beds, it wasn't for their spouse, you know. You need to go, Johnny, and get a job. Okay? Write that down, guys. There's something for you to do. Next step. Okay, so... There's the Lord's will and the Lord's timing. I said, well, if it is the Lord's will, it'll be the Lord's time when you're ready. So I quoted to him the song of Solomon, do not arouse or awaken love until it's time. How many of you, like me, just be honest, you thought you knew the Lord's will, but you got ahead of the Lord's timing. Relationally, ah, too much, too fast. Business got overextended over your skis, Right? Ministry, you felt called, but you didn't take the time to be prepared. This is some of my great regrets and mistakes in my life. God's will, but then I get impatient and I get ahead of God's timing. Jesus knows the Father's will and the Father's timing. The Father's will is that he would teach. The Father's will is that ultimately he would be crucified, but that time has not yet come, so he's obedient to this time until that time. Number five, the thing I want you to see in this, People will try to put an identity on you and you can't allow it to get in you. Here's what they tell Jesus. You're a liar. Is Jesus a liar? No. Jesus, you're darkness. Is Jesus darkness? No. Jesus, you're the problem. Is Jesus the problem? No. Jesus, you need to be silenced. Is Jesus need to be? No. Jesus, you need to die. They put on Jesus an identity. And here's what I want you to know. Some people will put an identity on you. They're doing this openly, publicly, shamefully. This is character assassination. This is a smear campaign against Jesus. And it is constant throughout his adult life and ministry. But he does not allow it in him. Let me say this. People are going to put things on you. You're unforgiven, you're unloved, you're never changed, you be just like your mom, you be just like your dad, you're a total failure, you should give up, you should stop trying, God is done with you, you should just kill yourself, you're just a wreck, you're beyond repair. What you've done is who you are, and who you are will never change, there's no hope for you. People, including Satan himself, will seek to put a negative, pejorative, destructive identity on you, they do this with Jesus. Even if they put it on you, you can't let it in you. Jesus knows that he is the son in whom the father is well pleased. He knows what God's will is for his life. He knows who he is in relationship with God. And even though they try to put it on him, he does not allow it in him. Because I love you and because I'm your pastor, I need you to listen to the word of God and not the voices of other people. I need you to understand that God loves you and he forgives you and he welcomes you into the light and Jesus wants to walk with you in the light and it doesn't matter what others have said about you it matters what Jesus says about you this is how he maintains his integrity and his humility through the course of his life and ministry so here's what I am saying in summary religion is darkness and it doesn't matter if they tell you that it leads to enlightenment god comes the lord jesus christ as the light of the world and he is opposed by religion so then the question becomes okay if there is darkness in religion is there perhaps light in culture is there hope for the human condition is there hope for humanity's future in the culture is there hope there And Jesus deals with that. He said to them again, I'm going away, you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, into the grave and ultimately back to the kingdom, you cannot come. So the religious leader said, will he kill himself? Since he says where you are going, I cannot come, they don't understand. He said to them, you are from, you're from below. That's the culture. That's the world. That's down here. That's where we are. You are from below. I am from above. That's the kingdom. That's heaven. That's eternity. That's the presence of God. You are of this world. That's the culture. That's the nation's. That's the collective way that various peoples and groups find meaning and value and purpose. It's how the big questions of where do I come from, why am I here, and where am I going are answered. You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of. I'm not of this world. I told you you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Let me unpack this for you. When it comes to culture, there is a political battle. I'm not going to get particularly political because this is a happy place and we don't want to ruin it, okay? I mean, if you want to not make people happy, talk politics. So I'll make this real brief. What happens is, let me back up, okay? I just, I just sense I need to pump the brakes here, okay? Jesus teaches us to pray, thy kingdom Come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So at the Trinity Church, we say we want to live kingdom down, not culture up. Culture up is Jesus. Here's what we want. Jesus, here's what we think. Jesus, we took a vote. We need you to edit the book you wrote. We found some errors. Most of them related to our pants. Most of the edits in the Bible are pants-related disagreements with God. Okay? Okay. You got to get dominion over your drawers. That's the first step in your walk with Jesus, okay? Now, what happens is we tend to think culture up and we want God to bless our cultural vision for humanity and ourselves. Jesus comes and says, no, darkness, I'm the light of the world. I have not come to bring the culture to its fulfillment. I have come to bring the kingdom to the culture. So let me say this about you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, who you truly are is who you will be for all eternity. Is there anything in your lifestyle that you will not be doing in the presence of Jesus in the kingdom of God? Then stop it because that's not who you are. Is there anything that you think that is incongruent with the word of God and the will of God and the ways of God? You won't be thinking that way in the kingdom. And repent of those thoughts, bring them into the light. Let his darkness, excuse me, his light transform your darkness. Let me say this, friend if you are a child of God, you will die as Jesus died, you will rise as Jesus rose, and you will live with Jesus, and you'll be like Jesus forever. That's kingdom. And in a million years, who you are today will seem like a distant memory. And I want you to start to live in light of your eternity, not in light of the fall and the past and the sin and the failure. Now, that being said, when it comes to culture, the political disagreement goes in one of two directions. People want to go back. These are conservatives, traditionalists. They say, the world is falling apart, which it is, okay? We need to go back to the good old days when people were safer and things were better. We need to go back. Ecclesiastes says, do not long for the good old days. That's the conservative traditional vision is to go back. Now the progressive and liberal vision is to go forward. Those were the dark days. The light days are ahead. This sort of evolutionary psychology. We're good. We're getting better. The longer we live, the better we are. We're evolving. We're more moral. We're more enlightened. We're more tolerant. We're more, and more diverse. We're not like those bad old days. We're headed for the good new days. C.S. Lewis calls this chronological snobbery. They were dumb. We're smart. They're bad. We're good. They didn't know any better. We went to college. Okay? Okay. <laughs> and so the battle is, do we go back or do we go forward? And Jesus says, go up, go up, go up. He says, I'm not of this world. You are of this world. I bring light into this world because this world, past, present, future, filled, With darkness. Here's the problem. The problem is not just out there. The problem is in here. You can get angry about institutional sin. You also should get equally angry about personal sin. Because all culture is. It is a reflection of the human condition. As long as there are dark sinners in their soul. There will be dark cultures on our planet. And you cannot just change the cultures first. There must be a change at the deepest level of each human being where our personal darkness is exposed. The light of God shines. It transforms, heals, renews, alters, saves us so that we begin to live kingdom down, not culture up. And in that way, we get to prepare ourselves for eternity when we see not only the king come, but thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so it all comes down to Jesus. Your hope is not in religion. Religion is darkness. Your hope is not in traditional culture. It has elements of darkness. Your hope is not in progressive culture. It has elements of darkness. Your only hope is not from this world. It's for this world. It's the light of the world. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he alone is the light that shines in this dark world. You ready? Here it comes. Go back real quick. I'm not done yet. We have to yell a little more. <laughs> Unless you believe that I am he, you, my dear moral friend, my religious friend, my spiritual friend, my devoted devout friend, you will what? What? The wage for sin is death. You will die in your sins. Those are the words of Jesus. So those must be loving words. My volume is not anger. It's loving concern. See, because religion says, Be a good person. Do these things. God grades on a curve. You'll be fine. Darkness. Culture says they died and went to a better darkness. Jesus says, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. Let me say this. I love you. I care about you. I'm honored to teach you. My volume is not anger. It is. It is concern. It is deep, affectionate concern for your soul. Because the worst thing, my friend, is not to die. The Apostle Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is? Dang, it's an upgrade. Yeah, hit the button and go up. That's amazing, right? So dying is not the worst thing. Dying in your sins. What that means is if you're not a Christian, this is as close to heaven as you will ever be. If you're a non-Christian, this is the closest to heaven you will ever be. If you are a Christian, this is the closest to hell you'll ever be. Some of you are—you're dancing on the precipice of destruction. You are teetering on the brink of hell. And some of you would say, "Well, uh, the other religions say there is no hell, darkness." Well, the culture took a vote—they believe in heaven, but not hell, darkness. Jesus says, "If." You do not believe in me. You will die in your sin. Some of you are dancing. You are teetering on the precipice of eternal damnation and destruction. You are headed for the eternal darkness where there is no second chance and there is no light. Jesus speaks of hell more than anyone in the whole Bible. Some of you would say, I I cannot believe that Jesus would would send us to that place. We send ourselves to that place. He comes to deliver us from that place. The whole reason that Jesus comes is to warn us of the danger that we are in and to rescue us from the destruction that is imminently coming for us. Some of you are living in the path of the wrath of God and you think that you're walking in the light and it's all complete, total, and other, either religious or cultural darkness. Unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. So let me ask you a couple questions. Do you believe in Jesus? Okay, let me ask you another question. Do you believe in Jesus? I'm, I'll, I'll ask another question. Do you believe in Jesus? It all comes down to Jesus. You believe in him, that's the starting line. You follow him to the finish line. You walk in the light as he is in the light. This is a relationship where, and some of you are struggling because you're saying, well, if I tell Jesus what I've done, what will he think? He already knows. <laughs> well, what, what, if, what if I tell him my secret thoughts? He, he knows your mind. Well, what if I tell him the dark longings of my heart? He sees your heart. He sees all, he knows all and he loves you. And he comes to have a relationship with you and he pursues you and he wants to walk with you. And darkness is something that does not trouble him because he is the light of the world who overcomes the darkness. So my last question, do you believe in Jesus? My next question, do you believe in Jesus? So they said to him, who are you? That's either a question or an accusation or a combination of both. I'm God, come down from heaven. Unless you believe in me, you will die in your sin. Who are you? We just thought you were a construction worker. That's a lot. Who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. Jesus says, I'm saying the same thing I've always been saying. Over and over and over and over. Jesus says, I'm God, come down from heaven to die to forgive you so that we can have a relationship that lasts forever. Some of you have been wrongly told Jesus did not say he was God, that that was myth, legend, fable, and folklore that was added to the Bible long after Jesus lived. That's not true. Jesus keeps saying the same thing. Here's what I need you to know. Jesus loves you so much, he'll keep saying the same thing. Why does Jesus need to keep saying the same thing? Because people aren't listening. How many of you are parents, and you've noticed this with children? You're like, I told, I, you can't just tell your kid once, right? Okay, do not light off fireworks in the house. Okay, great, we're good. You got, you did it again, and you did it again, and you did it again. And parenting is saying it over and over and over and over and over. And God has a parental relationship with us, and we tend not to think of ourselves as children. Jesus tells us, "I'm God." What? I don't know. I'm God. I'm not sure. I'm God. I disagree. I'm God. I read a philosopher. Darkness. I read another religion. Darkness. I am God. Oh, you're God. Okay, good. Yeah. How many of you, Jesus has been saying this to you for a long time? Some of you are like, my grandma told me this when I was a little kid. Well, that was the voice of Jesus coming through the mouth of your grandma. The reason Jesus keeps saying it is because he loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He's not like anyone else. He is committed to pursuing you. Even when you're not responding to him. Because even when we are faithless, the Bible promises that he is faithful. I'm telling you guys, there's nobody like Jesus. There's nobody that loves like Jesus. Some of you have had horrible relationships. Some of you, people have walked with you and they've walked away from you. Some people have been uh, covert and they've abandoned and betrayed and used and abused. Let me tell you something about Jesus. He's overt. I'm God. You're not. You're a sinner. I'm a savior. Come on in. I'll give you a hug. We'll straighten this up and walk away from it together. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I've heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the father. So Jesus said to them, isn't this great? Jesus says it and they're like, we don't understand. He said, okay, I'll say it again. We don't treat other people with the kind of grace that God treats us, amen? How many of you are like, I told you seven times, I'm done. I sent an email. You can read it another time. You can read it over and over and over, but I'm not saying it again. Jesus says, you know what? I'll say it again. I love you. I'll forgive you. I'll heal you. I'll unburden you. I'll accept you. I'll change you. I'll walk with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I got a kingdom. I'm a king. Come with me. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up What's that about? That's about the cross. They're going to murder God. We're going to murder God. Lift it up. That was to shame him. It was actually his glory. When you have lifted up the son of man, that's a designation for himself from Daniel, God come in the flesh. Then you will know that I am he, then I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father has taught me and he who sent me is with me. What he says is, I know who I am. I know why I'm here. I know what I'm sent to say. I know what I'm sent to do. The father has sent me to love you, to seek you, to save you, to forgive you, to unburden you, to heal you. You need me. I am the light of the world. You are in darkness. Come to me and I'll walk with you. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, this is the best part of the whole text. Many believed in him. My hope, my prayer, my goal is today that many would believe in him. Some of you are like, are you trying to convert me? 100% that's exactly what we're trying to do. <laughs> oh, you want me to be a Christian? Yes! Woo-hoo! Yes! There's no one like Jesus. There's nothing like Jesus. It's all darkness. Some of you have tried rebellion, darkness. Some of you have tried culture, darkness. Some of you have tried religion, darkness. Some of you just go home, turn the lights off and sit in the darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. And many believed in him. And I love this. He says, you're gonna lift me up. You're gonna crucify me. You know why Jesus died? For the forgiveness of sin. Oh, this is such good news. Here's what we tend to do with our sin. I made a little list. Some of us just deny we have any sin. Some of you are like, I don't do that. You just did it. You just did it. I didn't do anything wrong. It wasn't me. We deny it. Two, we blame shift it, right? Well, my wife made me mad, so I said some words. She really is responsible for this, right? That goes all the way back to Genesis 3. This is an old trick. Blame somebody else. They come to Adam. What happened? He's like, I don't know. Everything was cool. The woman showed up. I did some stuff. Probably the woman, you know? And then God goes over to Eve. What happens? She's like, I'm charismatic. The devil made me do it. Everybody's blaming somebody. We tend to deny our sin. We tend to blame shift our sin. We tend to excuse our sin with circumstances, right? Well... I had a long day. I didn't drink my coffee and I took a personality test and I came out as a J-E-R-K. That's just who I am. That's just who I am. That's what the test said. So I'm kind of a victim. It's not my fault. Or we embrace our wrong. Yeah, I did a bad thing, but that's who I am. That's who I am. I'm just being true to me. Don't be true to you, be true to him. Repent of who you are, walk in the light, and become like Jesus. The goal is not to become like you. The goal is to become like him. So, well, Pastor Mark, is there an option? Well, there is. Forgiveness. Oh, let me tell you this. Forgiveness is awesome. Some of you carry this burden of guilt, shame, condemnation, haunting, you're like, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe, it. I can't believe, I can't believe. Jesus is like, how about I die so you can live? How about I take it so you can leave it? How about I remove it so that burden is lifted, that freedom is given, and that relationship that never ends can begin? This is what it means to walk in the light. Forgiven, unburdened, known, loved, changed. I want to read for you a line from the last book of the Bible. It's the end. It's where it's all going. It's where we're all going. It's written by the same author, John. Revelation 22, 5. After we die, after we rise, after the king comes again and brings the kingdom with him and we arise as the children of God out of our graves, fully forgiven, fully healed, fully unburdened, fully saved. See, what will it be like? Revelation 22, 5. And night will be no more. There will be no darkness in creation And there will be no darkness remaining in the children of God. They will need no light or lamp. No electric bill. Awesome. (laughs) Or sun. Say, well, if there are no lamps or lights or sun and there's no darkness and it's always light. Where does the light come from? For the Lord God will be their light. Revelation 21, 23 says, the lamp is the lamb of God and they will reign forever and ever and ever. Here's what I need you to know. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus has a kingdom of total, complete Light. There's no darkness. There's no sin. There's no death. There's no destruction. There's no covert behavior. There's no manipulation. There's no use. There's no abuse. There's no one like Jesus. There's nothing like the kingdom of Jesus. And Jesus is the light of the world. And my dear friends, I have good news. He's coming back and he's bringing the kingdom with him. And his glory... In his first coming, his glory was veiled in his humility and then it's unveiled in his glory. Jesus' glory will illuminate all of the new creation. There will be no night, there will be no darkness in us Or around us, and the glory of the Lord Jesus will be unveiled for all eternity as we together in love and in joy and in health and in peace from all the nations gather around Jesus, the light of the world. Your heart will be light, your soul will be light, and Jesus will glorify Himself and illuminate all of creation. Forever. And if you are the children of God, that is who you are. And that is where you are going. He who follows him walks in the light. Amen. We need to sing, amen? amen? Father God, as the band comes forward, we invite the spirit to come down. Holy Spirit, give us Faith to believe, give us willingness to receive Jesus, the light of the world. Lord God, we confess there's no light in religion, there's no light in culture, there's no light in spirituality, there's no light in philosophy. Lord Jesus, you are the light of the world. You shine down into the darkness. We now bring our darkness to you, Lord Jesus. Forgive it, heal it, reveal it, change it. Put it to death so that we might live new lives. And Lord Jesus, as we raise our hands in worship, we're preparing ourselves for that great homecoming, that eternal day when we get out of our graves, when we see the light of life, when we see your glory. And like a child walking with a parent, raising a hand to be led home safely, We come now in worship as the children of God to raise our hand, to walk with our God as he safely brings us home. And until that day, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, starting here today in this place with these people. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.